Hey guys, welcome to today's episode of the Spiritual Evolution Podcast. I am your host, Andrea, and I'm excited to introduce this episode to you. Um, I spoke with Liam, aka Yam Sachs, on uh, TikTok is his name, and all of his links and everything will be available in the description below, but we talked about a lot of really interesting um theories and ideas regarding mathematics and its relation to philosophy and spirituality and um, the the depth um, behind those things. So it was a really amazing conversation and I'm so grateful. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did and have a wonderful day. So I'm really, really excited to talk to you. I absolutely like I'm, I'm obsessed with your content. Um, every time, like, I don't know, like, I will literally, I'm like showing people your videos all the time. (laughs) It's so so nice to see somebody like combining, because I'm very like much like I believe that science needs to catch up with spirituality Mm -hmm. and like how you, like the last video explained, like you can't scientifically like, um, like discern god you can't scientifically like um do a scientific method on god (laughs) it it won't yield anything no it's like looking through a telescope for you know like you said like that's it's just not the right you know combination of things to make it work you have to it's external and spirituality is internal i find that so amazing right so i have a lot of questions here so (laughs) oh perfect well let's get started um first of all i want to know how like what made you want to or what like called you to kind of look at the similarities between like mathematics and philosophy and spirituality? Well, to tell you the truth, I think it was kind of pure coincidence. I mean, I, I grew up with a agnostic father and a spiritual mother, and um, I was well accustomed to a bunch of different religions as a kid. You know, I've got a bunch of buddhas around the house we did hanukkah one year we do christmas <laughs> it's like a little bit of this a little bit of that and it never really vibed with me in fact for a large majority of my life i was a pretty extreme atheist and just super skeptical of everything yeah um and it wasn't until first year of university that um i was really passionate about mathematics and and science and I wanted to get to the bottom of it you know I was like wow how cool would it be to like create a theory of everything and whatnot so that's when I started looking at like theories of the universe and whatnot Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah it was it was purely by coincidence after climbing or descending the rabbit hole of math (laughs) the very bottom of it there's a lot of things there that were reminiscent of of like Buddhism and yeah. and Taoism and Hinduism and like all the religions, philosophies and spiritualities. And that like blew my mind. I was right. like, whoa, <laughs> why is it that at the bottom of science and mathematics, we find all this stuff that I thought was like complete nonsense? Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting to like see the how they intertwine. Like it really like when I was... um. I wanted to talk to you about the monster because I'm like, what is that? Like, is that, you know, like the universe? Like, what, oh, like, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I just find all of these, um, like, the, uh, I was watching the your YouTube um, speed running mathematics, mathematics, I think is what it was called. Yeah, right. And yeah. I thought that was so interesting. I loved the boredom repellent. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> the and that's that another. Was fun. 
I was gonna ask about like is the multiverse just like fractals like what is your opinion on like like coming up with a new theory about what infinity is and what the multiverse is as as compared to like fractals and like the Fibonacci spiral and stuff like that Mm, yeah I think the universe definitely mimics fractals or or vice versa in in that way (laughs) we see fractals show up in the universe and uh, both quantum mechanics and, and relativity tell us that that time is not linear. And so maybe those branchings off of, of timelines that could be conceived as like parallel universes or alternate timelines that kind of spread out like like a fractal, like like a like a tree does. A tree. I was just thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's interesting because I also notice like how everything has like like trees have that look of um like lungs or and and like people do the comparisons all the time from like the human body to nature to the universe and I find that so intriguing how everything has a very many similarities like for example like what I was going to ask you about the Fibonacci spiral is like do you believe that is that's a mathematic equation right yeah oh yeah definitely yes so I find that so interesting because it's like so it's in everything like you find Mm -hmm. it in all like nature and that I feel like that's proof right there for me, but like, <laughs> um, so let me see what else do we have? Uh, what do you believe about antimatter, black matter, um, besides like it being like a mirror of what is happening? Is there anything else you've like theorized about that? Well, I think the most remarkable fact about antimatter that no one seems to talk about, but a lot of high level physicists know, and they just never really think twice about it is the fact that Antimatter is indistinguishable from regular matter, but going backwards in time. Mm-hmm. And they they hear that and they go, ah, cool, just a coincidence, <laughs> whatever. But I'm sitting here like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're always taught like, oh, we've never known anything that can go backwards in time. You know, time travel doesn't exist. But here we have something that is mathematically literally going backwards in time, yeah. undistinguishable. I think right. that's like what that gives so many uh, oh, that opens so many questions like, OK, yeah. if it's going backwards in time, then what does that say about the future? Because clearly these things are not coming from the past when we find them in labs or, or whatever. They're coming from the future. Uh, in particular, most antimatter that we've discovered, we've created in a lab. Oh. And so if we've created it let's suppose we're in the lab right now and we and we create some antimatter mm-hmm. since we know that it's coming from the future how did the future know to come here now if we just decided to push the button now like right. it, it just throws time into a just a, a wrench into the whole <laughs> system it's like okay something deeper is going on here right right mm-hmm. so how do you like what <sighs> What was like the first thing that made you see like a deeper meaning to mathematics? Like what was the first thing that like clicked in your mind that made you question and like say like, oh shit. (laughs) Uh, I will never forget that moment. Um, It's, it was, it was a really stupid statement, but that statement suddenly unlocked a new level Mm -hmm. of, of meaning. And I, in particular, I wanted to find what was at the bottom of mathematics, like I said, and historically mathematics is constructed from the ground up from logic. So a good step for 
looking at what the foundation of math is, is looking at the foundation of logic. Um, and, and I should mention the whole reason I, I, I chose mathematics to study is because I consider it like the language of the universe. So what's the most fundamental component of the language of the universe? And in my opinion, it came down to uh, one thing and one thing only. And that was literally that which was not a thing, the, the, the essence of, of absence itself, because from absence, you can kind of construct all of the universe and everything, even mathematically. Like you take, you take absence. If that's your only building block to work with. You're God. All you have is nothing. And you take absence. Well, if that's your only building block, the only thing you can do with absence is then take the absence of absence because there's nothing else to take. But the absence of absence is something. Is presence. <laughs> we we just constructed existence out of non-existence and that blew my mind because i remembered in buddhism i don't know how i, I remembered this because i never studied <laughs> buddhism prior maybe a past life i don't know but uh i remembered that nirvana in buddhism is literally a word that means nothingness I was mm -hmm. like, oh, holy crap that they, they were on about nothing and then yeah. the tao and taoism literally means that which is not again about absence and non-existence yeah. and i remembered that shiva I have a statue of Shiva here, actually. The oh my Shiva gosh! Is, uh... Oh, that's awesome. Uh, etymologically, Shiva literally means Shiva, no thing, literally nothing. Um, in in Christianity, the one of the first words in Genesis one one is is heaven, and heaven is a word from Hebrew that literally means uh, the formless. So yeah. everything revolving about non just non in general, not non-existence, absence, whatnot. They're at the fundamental components of all religions. Mm -hmm. And you find that at the very bottom of math. And that's when it clicked. I was like, whoa, it's yeah. all real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And yeah, I it's like crazy to think about how we don't we we want to label everything, but at the end of the day, like we can't, like it's inconceivable to label that like you said like that which is absence and that which is like outside of, like i was gonna another thing i was gonna ask is like what is your idea of like human enlightenment because like personally i feel we can only get so far as humans and i'm not trying to say that to limit human humanity or anything like that but i believe like our soul or like in our you know our older soul or our higher self and mm -hmm. the you know the divine life force that's in each and every one of us is greater than what we can experience as humans so like, what is your idea on like human finding enlightenment? And well, I, I certainly agree that that just being a human, you've limited yourself. Like if you if you try to encapsulate the infinite in anything finite, it's no longer infinite, or at the very least, it's a smaller infinity. Mm -hmm. And humans are just being human, being a being a spiritual being encased in a in a human vessel. It's it's very very limiting. Um, and I think enlightenment really means is, is that the, the final revelation that you are not simply this vessel, you are not human, you are a spiritual being having a human experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, we hear in Buddhism and Hinduism, pretty much any Vedic tradition that after enlightenment, uh, you cease from having a body, uh, you, you will not reincarnate again, because you're completely unattached, finally, to your mortal frame. And 
So I think, again, enlightenment, much like absence, it's, it's hard to put into words precisely what it is. Um, but I'm very attracted to the Buddhist idea that it's just an, an elevation of consciousness. And I equate consciousness with awareness. So it's, it's, the, it's the penultimate awareness of your true identity. And that sparks the detachment from your body and your identity. Right. And finding that, that awareness of, of awareness. I remember that one video of yours. I was like hooked. I was like, yes, he knows what he's talking about. (laughs) So many levels, there's infinite levels of awareness. Yeah. And it it can really, and then I remember you like put it together and it became like sacred geometry. And I am a big fan of sacred geometry. I have it like tattooed all over me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's just like that. And I find that like, I want to learn, like, I want to go deeper. I have like, you know, the books on it and stuff. I have so many books I have to read. Um, but I'm, that's why I'm excited to talk to you about everything. Cause I feel like I'm, even though you're younger than me, I've learned so much from you. It's like, I have all these new, you know, newfound mentors and stuff. And I feel like we're all teaching each other in some way, shape or form. And I think that's beautiful. Cause it's. Well, hey, we're both 13.8 billion years old, <laughs> at least Yeah. in this cycle, at least. Right. So let's see. Um, what is your favorite mathematical or continuum theory? Or was favorite it one that you- theory? <laughs> oh, hmm. Well, I'm really fascinated by the continuum hypothesis, mm-hmm. which is the a question about which infinities exist, because I think it was uh, the mathematician Cantor, uh, when he was really kind of explicitly defining what it means to be infinity he was he was finding that there isn't just one notion of infinity there's there's several different classes and each class can be divided into an infinite amount of different infinities and i think my favorite fact about that is that um not only are there an infinite number of infinities but there isn't an infinity big enough to describe how many infinities there are Right. It's like what? <laughs> Try to wrap your head around that. You like you can't. <laughs> you can't. And yes, and I find that so fascinating too. And I was gonna ask you about like why? Why do you think? I know that it's you know, it's a lot deeper than like right like the mathematics that they teach us in school. But like, why do you think that they don't even give us the option to like learn about this stuff really in high school anyway? Um, yeah, isn't that weird? <laughs> I, mean, I, I frankly. I think they think that they they can't teach it to high school students because to be fair, yeah, you mm-hmm. only start to actually learn about this stuff uh, after you've accumulated like all of calculus, real analysis, algebra, set theory, topology. Mm-hmm. Like this, like this, these notions of infinity are like the the peak of mathematics. mathematics. So it's yeah. like, how are you supposed to like? explicitly explain that now. entire ladder? But that's the thing, as I think you can. I think okay. it's like it's such at the top of the ladder that it mm-hmm. almost exists in its own world. And you could start there and work down instead mm-hmm. of taking 14 years to start at the bottom and work well, your way exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah. It's like they, they take so long to teach you. It's almost like the same things over and over and over. Um, and it gets to me like I'm, I'm at the point where I'm ready to homeschool for sure. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you can teach yourself just about anything these days. Exactly really can if you have the you know the drive to and like the discipline which you know I'm getting to the point where I do (laughs) 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 Um, 
I think um, another thing that makes it difficult is that we we tend to only teach stuff that's applicable and mm -hmm. really abstract things about infinity. It's not very applicable. I mean, how right. are you going to use that to uh, make a living? Exactly. You're not, but it, it is applicable in in, in spirituality, certainly. Yeah, but uh, you yeah. can't really, very rarely can you make a living off of spirituality. Right. Um, it's uh, it. Even if you kid, I don't know if the school boards would be okay with that idea. <laughs> right. Well, that goes kind of against what they're, what they're kind of, I, I believe what their goal is, and that's to kind of dumb it down and keep us from enlightening enlightening our you know I, I see what you mean I don't know if that's necessarily like what their goal is but it's I think coincidentally that is what's happening I think it's inevitable that, that just right. like that is what's happening definitely right. yeah and it, I, I know that it's it's just like it hasn't evolved much over the years and and that's where it kind of gets to me it's like the education system hasn't really evolved with time as everything else has evolved it's still the same mm -hmm. Same shit <laughs> that you know they were teaching however long ago i know clearly like college and all of that stuff is going to continue to evolve um but i don't know that's just my uh my opinion on that <laughs> no yeah it's, it's become more and more systematic and but and that's the problem is is the more systematic you make anything that's the essence of the ego working because the ego loves to divide and conquer categorize this between <laughs> that and find differences and make make a system a hierarchy of the yeah. best ocd ever conceived of <laughs> uh and inevitably that'll detract you from the spiritual path and and uh right. and unity yeah so let me see um when when do you believe a new consciousness will begin in humanity and does this like consciousness or like this collective need to be kind of destroyed in order for the new heightened awareness to like real like like enlightenment to come into mm, collective consciousness. That's a good question. I've seen multiple different sources talk about how there's there's I think it was the the seventh great civilization is approaching. And in order to do that, you must, you know, of course dismantle the current civilization to build a new one uh, i know the law of one talks about how there's there's a great um uh, how do they put it i don't think it was reaping but it was like farming like the farming of the great oh, farming harvest? of soul yeah the harvest yeah, that's I've it heard, i've heard of it <laughs> yeah i don't know i have no personal experience with it however one thing that i can say for certain is there's ver something very indicative about this next generation of children and it's that they are they they're becoming the healers of their parents and oh, sure. i think never before or at least not for thousands of years do you see the next generation healing the wounds of the previous generation because you're flipping the whole parental role there and uh -huh. so i think that's telling you that some deep awakened spirit is emerging from the primordial void or something but yeah the like I, I know people my age and younger, like they know shit <laughs> and yeah. it's terrifying. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're not, they may not be very smart, but they're very wise. Intuitive and yeah. intu intuitive. Definitely. Right. Yeah. I completely agree. It's, it's almost like the people who are incarnating now are even like, they're the old souls that are here to like really make like waves, but like for the greater good of the whole, um, and I almost like I don't know it's I, I believe that like the the system may some parts of the system need to be obviously like 
dismantled in order to build from the ground up things that have become so corrupt you know like i was raised in a catholic home so i have you know i, I have my reservations about the church and stuff and the corruption yeah of course like, yeah i'm like lost in translation with the bible and everything and how many different like you know changes have been made and stuff so that's one thing that i like um like feel like you know just needs to be reconstructed or deconstructed and then built back up like in the you know way that it's meant to like for you know for for love and unity and all of the things that it's supposed to stand for i Um, totally agree but yeah that's another thing i was curious like i know you've studied like different like the vedas and the scriptures and stuff like that Mm -hmm. what is your opinion on how things have like kind of become lost in translation over the years and and how we can kind of dismantle that and get people to see that like the truth of it and like the read mm. between the lines you know and see the difference between like you know the the king james bible and then like the scrolls you know yeah it's funny you mentioned that i have that right next to me at the moment so i was doing some new translations of uh <laughs> king james version um yeah um allow me to pull that up quickly um, yes, take your time. Yeah, I love the Vedas because um, the, the original Sanskrit is mostly intact. And I think that's why we see that Hinduism hasn't really changed that much, as much as uh, Christianity has. Because uh, weirdly enough, all, despite that uh, Sanskrit is one of the oldest religion or sorry, uh, languages ever, someone around that time had the foresight to, th- to think, huh, we should write down how our language works. It's one of the only languages where, like in human history where someone actually wrote down how it works so that future people would know how to translate it. Right. So, uh, the Vedic religions are, are I think, great. Um, the, the translations today are, are pretty intact. Uh, Christianity, on, on the other hand, is uh, a little different. Um, mm. Uh, I, I really am not a big fan of the King James version, despite that it's the uh, like the c- current most used version. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was talking to someone yesterday about why is it that both a Jew and a Christian have the Old Testament a part of their repertoire, but they have so t- totally different perspectives on the same text. And the real only difference besides some cultural nuances is that the Jews have it in their original language and the Christians are reading uh, like an, a translation of a translation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think my theory of why Christianity has, has evolved differently is because when we in history went to translate the Hebrew into English, we went for a more literal translation. And that thereby makes most Christians interpret the text more literally and linguistically as as an as an actual story that happened instead of what the jews tend to interpret it as which is more uh philosophical and metaphorical and and symbolic um so if you don't mind uh uh, i've i've translated the first four verses of of genesis genesis 1 1 to genesis 1 4 and uh I'll, I'll first read the King James Version, the, the one everyone knows, <laughs> and then I'll read you my version, which came from, instead of linguistically translating the, the original Hebrew, I've, I've um, philosophically and more abstractly uh, translated it to, to keep the same message, 
Yeah. Um, and I think you'll you'll see the difference is quite starking. Yes. So King King James Version. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. You're not, not so bad. You know, it's, it's, it's a nice story. Um, and here's my best attempt at, at translating the original Hebrew. Completely different. <laughs> In the beginning, a discernment was made between non-existence and existence. Presence was sought, thus presence became. Presence was acknowledged in high regard and was discerned from absence. Oh, I, oh, I missed a quote, sorry. Uh, I missed somewhere in there was, existence was empty and nothing illuminated consciousness, yet spirit transcended the formless. That's so beautiful. But it, I, yeah, isn't, isn't that a little different? It's a lot, yeah, it's definitely different. Um, and I remember I, I did like, because um, I was doing some research and I remember seeing that um, the discernment translation and that makes so much sense because like you were saying like when we were talking earlier about how like absence the absence of absence became presence and that it really makes a lot more sense that like it would be something that is kind of separated rather than just created mm-hmm. out of nowhere out of, you know um so i like i and that's another thing i feel like i've seen on um duncan trussell's podcast he did one with uh the programmer and he kind of made it into like um uh what's the word <laughs> so oh my god why is it escaping me oh my gosh i want to say synchronicity is not <laughs> uh simulation theory <laughs> right right and yeah so that, i thought that was interesting too and it seems like it, there is so many different ways to look at it and i feel with the way like the church has become very like almost like controlling it's like they they only want you to see it from their perspective and it's like blasphemy if you want to like actually go and read the scrolls and do your own research Mm -hmm. i just find that really sad like i just wish that it was you know i was you can't you can't change someone's mind you can't make them see you know and it's that's not what we're here to do um everybody's journey is very different but i think it's important for like the you know like you said like our generation and clearly like our our children and stuff like even my, my son like he he like wants my spirit sticks and wants my cards and like when he yeah. likes always so into it like and he's got his own little deck like and he's not even two so it's very interesting to like see how quickly things are shifting just by the our generations like sh- and the collective like shifting its perspective together and seeing through this like kind of like conditioning and like them trying to basically like blind blindside us with like facts and information that like they don't Mm -hmm. expect you to actually delve into and research yourself they just want you to blindly follow yeah like i'm so grateful that we're not doing that anymore (laughs) yeah no a a shift is coming yes um i feel it's like it's already happening but something big is gonna happen soon oh it's been it's been (laughs) happening you know there's there's no nothing is is super rigid in the universe right. it's all a c- continuum we're just at a evolution yes what a nice part in the spectrum of the transition <laughs> so far right hmm, let me see what other questions we have here i'm totally not going in order <laughs> <laughs> that's okay 
Why do you believe you incarnated at this time, this moment in time? Ah, uh, I think, um, well, to, that's a good question. And to analyze my own life, uh, for some reason, it's been set up in a way that I see myself easily um, being well equipped to transmit information or energy or communicate across the internet because this is a whole new plane of existence that has opened up the past Mm -hmm. century which is the digital realm um and yeah i suppose that um you know it's it's like the question why did life arise on earth i think it was it's less so of a silly question than it is um a rhetorical question like of course it was meant to happen here like right. like you know why because in a way, <laughs> which is kind of a cop-out question but or a cop-out answer but because it's kind of a cop-out question so uh, right. I see that a vacancy in the universe opened up for someone to talk transmit information and energy about spirituality and consciousness and mathematics on this whole new digital realm and thus something by the law of attraction filled that void and that happened to be me and you and other people like us yeah that's a good answer (laughs) (laughs) thank you um let's see oh do we actually have free will because i i'm sure you know like our consciousness actually decides before we realize like the decision has been made to do or say something it's already like in our somewhere in our consciousness and then I I'm not exactly sure if there's a term for it but I um it's on a spirit science YouTube video and I'm I really like them because they do a good job of like combining the two and explaining and everything right. so what are your thoughts on the free will <laughs> yeah I've heard that um that like you know scientists can detect what choice you make in your mind like how many milliseconds before you you actually even realize your own choice mm-hmm. uh, but of course uh, we must discern between the uh, the mind and the consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I know for certain is that uh, whether or not we have free will, uh, both cases are equivalent. Like you, you would never know the difference, and thus uh, that begs into the question: the how sound the question is. Like, okay, if both answers to the question doesn't change the outcome, then what does that say about the question? Right. Uh, interestingly, um, my favorite mathematician, John Conway, once proved uh, a paper called the free will theorem. And he was able to prove with under the assumptions of quantum mechanics that if any single being in the universe has free will, then thus it is necessary that every single thing in the universe has free will. And that includes inanimate objects, that includes atoms, that includes particles, you name it. If anything has free will, then everything must have free will, which is, which is a really interesting theorem. Yeah, that is it. it kind of, it, I mean, it makes sense because whether those um, atoms and particles are going to come together to be created. Maybe they choose, you know, where they end up. I don't know, <laughs> you know, as inanimate objects, because I do believe that everything like plants and, and animals and the earth itself, you know, the stars, all of it's very much sentient and, mm-hmm. um, you know, conscious. I haven't really thought too much about inanimate objects because I think that would kind of, <laughs> kind of like 
warp my mind a little bit because yeah. <laughs> I can overanalyze stuff like to a point where it's like just stop. <laughs> right. Um, but let's see. Um Oh, so how, like, I mean, I've already asked you how you believe mathematics and spirituality relate. Mm -hmm. So what do you, okay, so I don't know if you've heard, if you do, if you know much about like star seeds and stuff like that, but there's um, a theory about the Hindu gods and goddesses in the Vedas that they were vegan star seeds, which are basically like blue alien beings hmm. so what do you think about like the the deities in those like in those religions as like um extraterrestrial beings that's a good question i don't know much about star seeds but i have been doing some research le uh, lately um i would i would question uh whether it's a is it a, a just theory to confine these deities into something as uh as uh, even though as as galactic as they are even mm -hmm. even star star seeds or 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 anything that is not the entire universe right. but right. but maybe their avatars in particular were star uh -huh. seeds the the vessels that they came down in right um mm -hmm. uh one thing i know about the but the the hindu deities is that somewhere in the vedas uh, it states that the gods were created by man to be objects of meditation divine perfect objects of meditation they were meticulously crafted and put into existence by the sheer power of mind so that they would become the ultimate objects of meditation thus when you upon the meditation of these of these objects these deities that uh, their aspects and attributes would manifest in you right any like it's funny i was just actually watching um about like a video about Lilith and, and they were talking about is morgue. He's talking about how she is an archetype within your consciousness and you can, you know, connect with like, like that, you know, part of yourself, um, just how everything is connected and all of that. But it's almost like he was explaining how it's, it's a story and it's like, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a thing in existence. It's just something within each and every one of us, like, um, you know, attributes of standing up for you know justice and equality and all of that for her anyway right. um i found that to be interesting uh, because I it's almost like, like i love the you know, i love the idea of archetypes right when people work with these deities it's like you're working with just like a higher version of yourself almost you know and like working with tapping into that energy within yourself but it's something for us as humans to kind of wrap our minds around a little better <laughs> oh absolutely so let's see what else we have so I feel I don't know if I think that okay so is it mathematically possible to have to create like a sustainable amount of resources for everyone in the world to like be okay because I'm big on like wanting to like and I know that there is like enough of a lot like there's enough food that's wasted that could feed and help the people mm -hmm. that are starving but in like aspects of like water and shelter and all of those other things, do you believe that it's mathematically possible for us to do that with the way the population has been rising so, so fast? Mm. I think it is certainly possible. However, uh, I don't think it is possible, not because I think it's unlikely, but just the way that karma works is that we'd have to dissolve a lot of karma 
so that no one would be able to be in the karmic scenario of not having shelter and things like that. Because I because I think if we subscribe to the idea of reincarnation, then and the idea of karma, then necessarily the people in the world that uh, are suffering right now had to have some karmic influence in a past life that mm-hmm. you know by the law of every action has an equal and opposite reaction maybe jimmy although mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a great kid unfortunately was an absolute masochist in his past life <laughs> and thus the lesson and learning that he must have in this life is to feel what it happened uh, to the people that he caused the suffering to in the past life. absolutely which which no one likes likes to think about because mm-hmm. especially when you think about um you know the, all the suffering that happens with children because like because right. that means you're you're justifying um like mm-hmm. suffering but yeah. um uh, but we have to take a step back for a moment and go okay no matter no matter yeah. if or not we are justifying suffering remember that we are in the universe where all things are of the universe and every lesson that's happening in the universe is caused and created for itself for it to learn and grow and thus it puts itself under uh suffering as a great cosmic play so that it can learn in the future and so it's not truly suffering individual parts of it maybe uh, but as a galactic or intergalactic whole it is just as free and always will be yeah i like that that that's a really that's like gets me thinking i like that that's a good answer <laughs> it's, it's definitely oh. a thinker yeah <laughs> um oh so did you hear about the black hole that like spewed out matter because there was like a couple like maybe oh maybe but it's like a month or so ago there was like mm-hmm. a black hole that like like spit something out and i just wanted to see if you were like <laughs> what you thought about like why or how that might happen as you know it's obviously not what black holes do as mm. far as we know um i didn't like research it too much but i i did want to like see it what you just think of that phenomena in general well have you heard of quasars no <laughs> okay uh quasars um uh they are they are believed to be black holes that are ejecting jets of material uh, across the poles and um, the thing is, is the, the, the material is not actually coming from within the black hole. It's coming from all the material that's trapped in an eternal orbit around it. And, you know, through weird magnetic lines and flux, it gets funneled and shot out to the poles. And so it looks like it's spewing it out, but it's actually uh, from the lines that it's spewing out. It's coming from exactly the perpendicular to that. It's coming from outside, getting revolved around the black hole, being shot out like some big uh big cosmic slingshot Uh, so i don't know if that's if they were referring to a quasar or something Uh, but there is another theory which is the idea of a white hole which is the equal and opposite of a black hole where uh instead of it sucks everything in and nothing can escape a white hole is just a source of things and it's sending stuff out and nothing can enter okay and we've never found a white hole but I think maybe this was the same uh, paper where they suggested that maybe this thing that we saw wasn't actually a black hole, but was a white hole. Okay. Uh, but it's unlikely. Yeah, right. That would be really, that'd be really interesting. Um, they discovered one of those. So, totally. 
Um, so how do you believe, I mean, other than through, you know, meditation and um, what we spoke about earlier with finding enlightenment in human form, what about like finding transcendence um, as a human? Is there anything like more to, you know, transcending the human form other than like death? <laughs> um, is there anything like that you, you know, have philosophized or theorized about <laughs> with those um, ideas about like transcending this? Uh, <laughs> would you elaborate on, on what you mean by transcending? I guess just um, connecting with that, like the divine on um, a level that's not so much like, I guess, more than astral projection even just like really like finding that that oneness without actually dying like do you believe that's possible or oh without actually dying <laughs> uh, well i think that most scriptures tell you that there is no such thing as dying really oh, yes. and and even uh in buddhism which states that you never return after dying after enlightenment they also say that it's not the case that you don't return, nor is it the case that you do return. It's something, it's something else, and it's not neither, and it's not both. So, uh, so theoretically, you could return if you, after enlightenment. And uh, my theory is that the, the reason why the Buddha said that, mm, we cannot say for certain that I will return or not, uh, because it it wasn't decided yet. And because of the free will, mm -hmm. we cannot say for certain if or if not, that will happen. So I think an enlightened being, if so desired, could return to the karmic cycle of, of internal rebirth uh, mm -hmm. and and have in its repertoire the abilities of an enlightened person. And perhaps all of us are. We just, perhaps we have al already reached enlightenment within a previous universe or whatnot right. and we'd never know right or would we <laughs> <laughs> no. right it is it's it, it's like um i think about that too if we came in you know into this body knowing everything that like we have already you know experienced in other lifetimes without having to work to like do you know those studying and and all of the um experience like we would it wouldn't be the same experience we wouldn't really have the opportunity to learn because we would already have every we would think we already have it all like figured out and that's not the point of you know human life it this is kind of more like a like a soul growth learning experience like a school you know yeah uh, nice big school <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so let's see what do you think about the undecidables in mathematics um like, is that anything similar to like, cause I, like on your speed running mathematics, you had the, um, the third, it was, um, it was like in, in decide, or it was like, a, yeah, true, false. And the yeah, third one, the I. <laughs> yeah, the I, the inconceivable, the indeterminate, whatever you want to call it. That's it. Um, like, is that similar at all or. Yeah. I mean, it all revolves around duality because our minds are very dualistic things we always mm -hmm. assume that things are strictly true or false that statements have a definite yes or no answer like the classic which came first the chicken or the egg or pertaining to math um you know is math discovered or invented 
Like we assume that it has to be one of those things. And you'll notice the reason, <laughs> the reason that those two questions are for the most part unanswered is because we assume that it has to be one of those things. Right. If we don't assume that, then the question's no longer exciting. It's like, okay, it's both or it's neither or it's, it's mm -hmm. something else. It's like, you've right. solved it, boom. But, it, but it's not exciting. And the mind really likes to be excited and it's really exciting to organize everything into a true false binary system on off this that <laughs> uh, which of course is is, is the work of the, the ego the ego loves doing that uh -huh. um, and yeah i think uh i think these undecidable statements uh are are very uh very common, so common, in fact, that I think every statement is one of those <laughs> statements. There is no such thing as a statement that is cleanly yes or cleanly no. Absolutely. I totally agree there. It's anything can like anything can be transmuted or alchemized into like, anything else. So exactly. You introduce time into the in, into the mix and everything right. is changing, then these answers must be changing too. So there's no, exactly. nothing permanent about these. Right, everything. The only thing that is permanent is impermanence. So it is very much like it's it's both. <laughs> right, it's both. Everything, neither, both. everything, nothing. <laughs> um, let's see what else we have. Do you believe consciousness exists in the mind, um, or body, or both, or neither? <laughs> hmm. Or I mean, is that one of those questions? <laughs> Consciousness, in my opinion, is, I really like this Buddhist story. I think a Buddhist was asked this and he said something like, suppose I have two pots. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got an empty pot and I've got a pot filled with water. Notice you see uh, your reflection or the sun's reflection in the pot with water. But we can't say that, that the sun's light also isn't within the empty pot. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with the water. The water is just reflecting it. That's all. In fact, if I dump both of them out, they're still both equally reflecting water just as much as they do when you fill them both with water. Mm -hmm. And so the metaphor is that light is the consciousness and... Um, and the pot is your body and the water is your mind. And so you need a body to put a mind in. Mm -hmm. um, and the mind allows the consciousness, which is already everywhere, to reflect upon itself, to become self-aware. And so in that sense, consciousness is everywhere. However, self-consciousness self or self-awareness isn't everywhere. It's only wherever there's a mind. Uh, so a rock in this like, universe is conscious. However, it is not a, a rock is not aware that it's conscious. Self-aware, right, 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 right. I love that. That's like, I, that makes so much sense to me. And it's, it's almost like people don't want to think outside of the box. I mean, our generation has definitely like broken that box, but mm -hmm. I feel, um, you know, and like you said, like the children are like the teachers of the, you know, the people that they are, um, you know, 
related family wise too. Like we chose our families because probably, obviously, like we are here to do a lot of healing, not just for the collective um, and ourselves, but like for the families and directly like generational like cycles that we chose to come here to help break. Um, right. And I think it's so important for people to be willing to like admit that like maybe it's not exactly what they thought because like my beliefs have evolved and changed over time, like in the last, just in the Mm -hmm. last two years, um, because I'm learning more and I'm opening myself up to more, you know, um, information and wisdom and experience. Uh, and it's when you get into that state of mind where like you think only one way is possible, like and nothing else, and then you kind of, you just kind of cut yourself off from being able to learn more. Mm-hmm. And it, it gets frustrating. <laughs> it's super frustrating. Oh yeah. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> let's see, what else do we have? Hmm. <laughs> um, so what do you, What do you believe uh, the difference, if there is a difference between frequency and vibration? Well, they're related by speed, (laughs) mathematically. Uh, As long as you know, that's the it's the the holy trinity of of vibration, frequency, and speed. You know, one of those two things, you'll know the the third one. Um, uh, So, I mean, mathematically, uh, frequency is just just how how quick the cycle is each cycle is um vibration is well i guess uh, uh, the the trinity i'm actually thinking of is, is speed wavelength and and frequency and vibration refers to all three of those things okay and and so frequency is how quickly something is and wavelength is the size of that cycle and, and uh, the speed is essentially the link that tells you how you get the frequency from the size and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think vibration encompasses all of that. Uh, for, for our sense of sound, the, the frequency is the pitch and the, uh, and the, uh, the, the size is the volume. Right. Uh, and for light, the frequency is the color and yeah. uh, the size is the brightness and whatnot all of our senses are a measure of some vibration of course yeah i like that and it's it, it seems like people have become very like they're starting to understand that everything is frequency and everything has like a frequency or an, and a vibration to it so i just thought i wanted to ask you that because i know that like you study the mathematics so it does. It makes sense that they, I mean they're all intertwined, but I knew that there was like a separation. So I wanted to know what the, what the difference was between the two. Yeah, um, the vibrations. Vibration is just a name for all of those phenomena. Yeah, frequency is one aspect of vibration, just as wavelength is, just as speed right. is. Right. That makes sense. Um, oh, have you heard of the cold spot in space? The cold, uh, there's a couple cold spots out there. So what do you, do you have any theories or thoughts about the, how that may have come to be? Cause um, the videos I was watching made kind of, made a little bit of sense about it, but I was interested in what your thoughts were. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it interesting? Um, it's very, very, uh, very, very 
boring place to be. There's not a lot of energy transferring at all because there's no energy to transfer there. Yeah. Uh, that is if you associate excitement with stuff happening. There's just not <laughs> a lot of stuff happening there. Uh, yeah. yeah, we do expect, you know, some places of the universe are going to be hotter than other. Stars mm -hmm. are hot. Gaps between stars are tend to be a little colder than mm -hmm. um the the weirdest one in my opinion is um the the great attractor which you might have heard because our galaxy is a part of a super cluster of other galaxies called laniakea and uh, <clears throat> when we track the motions of all the galaxies in laniakea they're all generally moving towards one point and so that one point is called the great attractor but the weird thing is about the great attractors, when we point our telescopes there, there's nothing there, <laughs> which, which is kind of bizarre. Um, <laughs> everything's moving towards nothing. So nothing. how is it being attracted? Because tend, gravity tends to need mass to attract things. Yeah, like what is, yes, what is the pull? Yeah. I think, oh, the, I think there's a, there's a duel of the great attractor too. It's called the great repeller or something. It was, everything's moving towards the great attractor and away from whatever it was called, the great repeller or something. And there's also nothing at the great repeller. So it's like mm -hmm. this big cosmic magnet bar, except the right. magnet doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that sounds incredible. Yeah, like they were saying these um, spots in space like are some like uh, byproduct of like the creation of the universe and that like that's what was kind of left from uh, it was it was like very deep <laughs> it was like something like was left over basically from like the big bang yeah um, yeah, yeah that's that cosmic microwave background <laughs> yeah. and that sounds kind of conceivable um so i thought that yeah, that's I have to I'm gonna have to look into the um that great attractor because that's interesting. I just oh, yeah. got my space is cool. And I you just like, got what, sir? I got my son a telescope, but oh like, nice. Not even two. Like, I got it for me, but like yeah. I don't know how to use it when we're older. When he's older, well, I'll be older too. But <laughs> um, let's see what else we have. Uh, mm, oh, I already asked you that one. Um do you have any uh, thoughts on like kundalini energy and like uh, awakening it and any like have you ever worked with like kundalini energy at all? I have. <laughs> uh, I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> here's the, here's the thing. It's it's some powerful shit. Yes. <laughs> like it, it'll yeah. if you're not ready for it, it'll fuck right. you up. Uh, and oh, I think sure. they even tell you that, uh, like, e like if you if you awaken it, because because pretty much anyone can awaken it. You just have to meditate the right way. And uh, but the thing is, is if if you do that, the the whole theory is that the kundalini is wrapped around the base of your spine, and you and right. you just have to channel it up to your your crown chakra, which which isn't that hard. The 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 hard part is getting it back down again. Because <laughs> the thing is, apparently, if it's if it's up there for for more than two weeks, you just die, and what? that sucks. You just get reborn again. You have to spend more time removing all that karma again. It's just oh it's just pointless because you just like you you you. <laughs> it's the most ecstatic suicide ever, and it's just what? unnecessary. I didn't know that. See, like, so I then I was like watching videos and stuff like a week ago. Um, this kundalini it was like a real kundalini awakening like popped up when I was getting your questions out and stuff so I was like oh, I also should ask one of this <laughs> oh it's, it's dangerous um, yeah it's this guy that like does like 
he does these like classes they're expensive like I looked at it because I was like interested they're really expensive but he basically like awakens it for you he's like um, an energy worker and he does like all these movements but like the people look like they're like convulsing like they look like they're going mm-hmm. through like some really intense shit and like I know what you mean by like like not being ready for you know stuff like that because that can be very overwhelming for oh yeah like that just are you know just getting into it and I could even just even after two years I'm, I don't think it when I'm ready for it like it will happen in meditation when you know my guides think I'm ready right because it's definitely something that like you gotta be careful with <laughs> yeah you totally. oh totally <laughs> I think the yogis t- they tell you that that's the you gotta practice all eight limbs of yoga to to get the the diamond body and that takes like decades of constant practice to do right. and um, I think I accidentally, uh, I don't know. I did something with the Kundalini once while I was meditating and, uh, I, I immediately knew after that I, I, I need to start working out because I, my, my body was, was not ready for that, for that transfer. In fact, my, 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 my body froze up like, like ALS, like my, my, my hands were like literally like frozen uh, it was terrifying because mm-hmm. i i couldn't uh move them it's, it's as if someone like tensed up all my muscles or i guess it was oh. me i tensed up all my muscles <laughs> and uh and you just couldn't untense them wow. and it, it and like it it was uh it was exciting i'll tell you that much but oh, yeah, um scary. <laughs> I, I i committed to myself that i would never do that again and, until i had practiced all the necessary things Right. Yeah, it can. And it can, I mean, I've never, you didn't do it by accident, right? Or, or was it like kind of just like random? Because I've never heard of anyone doing it without like trying to do it, you know? Um, were you doing like a Kundalini meditation? I was just breathing and focusing on my breath. Breath work. Yes. Yeah, breath just, work. Just is, pranayama. Yeah. I, I like doing breath work every morning, but um, like, I think that's a good way to, to start like getting your body kind of ready for it is like yoga breath work meditation but I don't think it's something you want to like you know go have somebody do for you if you're just starting in this path <laughs> oh yeah no that's that's how you uh dramatize yourself <laughs> yeah that's what happened when I was yeah when I was 15 no I was maybe oh, like yeah? 17 I had this crazy awakening I was like didn't go to school for like over a month it was Cause we were, I was in 11th grade and it was like, we were studying like energy and atoms and stuff in chemistry. And it was just, and I had, I was, you know, partying and I'm, I'm almost three years sober. I was like, and I was, you know, had addiction problems back um, mm-hmm. from high school up until like five years ago. And but anyway, so I had taken this ecstasy pill and it just made me like, it had two CI research chemical in it. And it made me like, like trip out to the point where like I like I said I missed school like I couldn't sleep I couldn't do anything I didn't leave my room like it was very terrifying and it almost felt like something was like like moving through me so it may have like certainly been some kind of a kundalini um like energy and it was definitely like very intense and very like very scary because there was no kind of you know spiritual community that I could connect with like my mom brought me to the fucking priest <laughs> like, yeah yeah, yeah. Like, you know because I was like I have to save the world like the world's so fucked up like I right. was like going 
through it. I was like, the, like I was just, I had this whole savior complex going because, you know, I was raised Catholic and thought, I'm Jesus coming back. Like, it was like ridiculous. Well, th that's the thing, right? Is, the, is at some point in spirituality, you gain a God complex because that's the shtick about spirituality is that God is the unity that is all. So, of course, you're God. Like, right. You got a God right. complex? Hell yeah, I do. And you should too. Everyone is. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, it's about finding that harmony and balance within the you know like within the um understanding of that and and having all aspects of yourself shadow and light integrated so that you're not just focused on you know one part solely because it's it's more than just the light and the love and all of that and yeah, i've had to precisely for sure <laughs> yes. um, well, yeah, it sounds like quite the experience it was yeah dude I could I I mean I've talked about it in a couple other episodes and stuff it was definitely like and then when I got sober five years ago I was having very very vivid night terrors where it was like inception kind of night terrors and it, oh yeah okay it yeah had I know that. Medication. yeah and like it was due to the medication that they was the, the night terrors were getting worse but I had already had night terrors before that mm -hmm. um like and it actually caused me to be able to like lucid dream because I finally started to like fight back in one where I thought I was being abducted, like <laughs> by an alien. Oh, it was that is interesting. Yeah, because I like started to fight back. And I don't know at this point, I feel like it may have been like my guides or my ancestors just trying to get me to wake up in my dream. I don't think they right. were actually like uh, aliens abducting me. I really think that it was just like them coming to me like you got to wake yourself mm -hmm. up like to get out of it and so and that's what happened I did and then my my dreams have been so incredible ever since I mean I've had my nightmares here and there but um like just last night I had a dream about my best friend that um, passed away and she used to come to me in my dreams a lot and she hasn't in a while the last night she did and oh, I have had a hard time remembering my dreams lately but I remember it last night and it was really cool because like um you know like I have a little like altar set up for her and she's like a big part of my guy team she's with me a lot I see her name everywhere her name is Julie and like I swear mm. I her, like it's it, it gets really like intense it's like so often sometimes but um yeah it's really nice to be able to like lucid dream and and talk like see you know um past loved ones and stuff in your dream time but it can be really hard to get to that point for sure like do you have mm -hmm. any thoughts dreams <laughs> i think i share a very similar story with uh with my relationship with dreams having a lot of nightmares as a child i kind of forced myself to be a lucid dreamer to to you know <clears throat> shut down the nightmares while they were happening yeah yeah it's it's i don't know if that's how you know i'm sure people are able to lucid dream without going through that but i feel that that can be a big like you know, Kickstarter almost like how we go through, you know, as I mean, as healers, we have to go through something that we have to heal ourselves to be mm -hmm. able to heal other people. Um, and so it make it would make sense, you know, that that would be the thing that would wake us up in the dream time is something so terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, no. You know, you gotta stop it. Um I think yeah. Islam says something similar about um it's not that apparently in islam it's not that allah punish you punishes you because he he like hates you it's because it's the most effective way at waking you up right yes it's the most effective way to bring growth and yeah and like those aha moments almost um come from like sometimes come from like the most difficult experiences that we go through for sure mm -hmm.
Mm, okay, so I have like a few more questions. Um, let's see. Oh, wow, that's funny. The next one was, do you ever astral project while meditating? <laughs> do you ever? Uh, yes. Have you ever astral projected? Um, uh, perfect timing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I always say that I have a very simple definition of astral projection, and that's astral projection is simply when you focus your awareness on something. And so usually it's it's something typically when we think of astral projection, it's like another space, uh, another place. So we're just focusing our awareness. We're channeling our consciousness. We're throwing it like mm -hmm. a ball or like a fishing line somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and so like we, in that sense, you're astral projecting all the time, like boom, right now you're astral projecting to Andromeda just by the fact that I mentioned Andromeda, your awareness you is now. I Andromeda though, because that's like my, <laughs> that's apparently where I'm from. Like that's my like star seed cut, like that's apparently, I would, God, that's so weird. <laughs> there are no coincidences. <laughs> there we go. And you are especially astral projecting to Andromeda because it is so yeah. center in your awareness. Yeah. That just blew my mind. <laughs> but yes, I, I agree. Like, um, and and that's so weird because I had one of my first astral projection, like like experiences uh, that I really remember very vividly in my dreams was I was in some kind of a war-torn planet or area. I don't know if it maybe had been for some reason I'm thinking Mars. Um uh, it may have been somewhere somewhere else, but it was very much like red dusty like um yeah. war torn like it just looked very mars like um and i remember being like like helping all these people trying to get like out and then i remember being like astral projected from there to like the stars and i was in my light body and my soul mom was there and, and her light body and my son or like another one of my soul children was there in their light body as a baby and it was the weirdest part was that my actual like earth mom was in the background like watching us and i didn't understand it fully but the other part that's crazy is that like when my mom was pregnant with me like at nine months pregnant someone called and asked is andrea there yet and like that's my parents pronounce it andrea but my friends say andrea because it's been like a whole thing and my guides are always well my ancestors are always like it's andrea i'm like okay whatever like, <laughs> um, like so annoying but anyway so yeah so she called and asked like is she there yet and that's where they got my name. They, you know, always told me that I was like Mary because I was raised Catholic. So that's what they think. And, Classic. you know, whatever. I know it's my, it was my soul mom, but, you know. And so in that dream, though, when I connected like with like our hands, like our bodies connected, we were holding hands or hugging or whatever. I can't, I couldn't put it into words, the feeling of like pure euphoria and just like, like everything was okay. Like I was in, like like it felt like heaven like I couldn't explain it other than that like I was like such a pure happiness and like genuine like feeling of like love and like just it was it was something I'll never ever ever forget and that was mm. like one of, one of like the first really like intense experiences I had in the last like few years like two or three years and it like changed my perspective on a lot of things because like, I didn't realize I had a soul mom outside of, you know, here and like that she's an alien and like all, <laughs> all this like stuff, you know, that my friend, um, my, that's like one of my main mentors, like he explained to me when I told him about it, I was like, it was my soul mom, wasn't it? And he was like, you already know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, like, you know, um, but yeah, there's so much that I feel happens in, in the dream realm. Um, the divine mother expresses herself in a multitude of ways.
Absolutely, for sure. Um, so let me see. Hmm. I asked you about that. Oh, what made you want to create the um the speed running mathematics like with your own kind of theory, theory theories and logic and all of that? What what kind of sparked that? Ah, uh, it's just for fun, but I'd I'd like to get the the collective consciousness uh, aware that our current theory of math is just that a theory and uh you know it's not it not always is the case that these facts that you have been taught are universally true mm -hmm. uh, you know one plus one doesn't have to equal two it depends on what system you're working in uh for example on a clock um six plus seven equals one right because there is no 13th hour on a 12 hour mm -hmm. clock it's it's one oh, and wow. Uh, so it just depends on your settings and what what things you assume. And all of math is a, is a result of, of nine assumptions, assumptions our yeah. current theory, the nine axioms. Yes. Uh, but the, these axioms are, are, are controversial. And so I thought, ah, I'll, I'll make a series about uh, with, that use different axioms to show that, you know, they're pretty arbitrary and you can still do cool stuff with whatever. Right. I think that's such a, I, I, I love that. Like, it's like a fresh perspective on mathematics for sure. Cause I think it's important for people to see that like, it, it is more than just, you know, what you're taught in school. And there's a, a lot of like divinity within like the sacred geometry and like of mathematics and how the, they, you know, intertwine with philosophy and all of, um, creation really because like frequency and vibration comes down to mathematics too so um i just find it very intriguing so i have like two more questions um sure. oh you know what? just one i already asked him okay so the last question i'm asking everybody is what is your um like what is spiritual evolution for you what does that mean to you for me spiritual evolution a good question <laughs> literally i mean what is a question when it comes down to it a question is a query it's a statement that creates vacancy for something new as soon as you ask a question you thereby create the vacancy and this process is known in Judaism as tzimtzum, that in order to create anything, even a universe or a God, you must first create the vacancy for something to arise. So the act, the act of asking a question is creating that vacancy. And thus, by the law of attraction, when you create a vacancy and by the law of entropy, everything and anything will fill that inevitably. And so a question is creation. And I think the spiritual path is not so different. Spiritual evolution is, is learning that uh, the very act of asking a question is creation. And thus, if you want to create more, ask more questions. If you want to be satisfied, then if you don't ask the question, there is no answer. And I think one of my favorite quotes from Vedanta is that an unenlightened person has all the questions and none of the answers, but an enlightened person has neither. <laughs> <laughs>
that's that actually makes a lot of sense because we don't yeah we don't have to ask the questions once we find that like it's you know it, it could be either any and everything's always changing so of course that's a good point well i'm so grateful that we got to do this well thank um, you for having me all right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that and I hope that you guys have some newfound knowledge and wisdom from the conversation that we had. And I hope that you guys also let me know any questions that this may have brought up for you. Um, feel free to comment or, you know, send me an email or a message letting me know what you think. Um, and if you guys are interested in more stuff like this, you can always let me know. Have an awesome day.